Light. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast equivalent of going into nine overtimes and still hitting the under. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of mazeandbrew.com. Andy, you Irish-American Magellan circumnavigating the globe and looking for football games and women. How are you, my friend? I am good, man. It is hate week. I'm ready to fire shots like Alec Baldwin. Let's go. Oh, too soon, but I am ready. <laughs> I am here with you, my friend. This is one we have been circling since last year after uh, one of the worst defeats of the Harbaugh era and the lowest, personally, that I can remember being in some time. That one, that one hurt me to the core. I don't normally contemplate suicide after football games, but this one, you know, is giving me a case of the old kablooies. So we <laughs> we got past it, though. We did indeed get past it, and we're still here to do one more one more year of hate week, at least. Hopefully, many more to come. But before we get to that, and get to that, we shall. Uh, let's let's take a look around. We got plenty of Michigan to cover, but I want to look around first. Get that out of the way if you're up for it. Let's do All it. All right. So the look around Big Ten and college football. Uh, it's, it's getting interesting out there in the West, but let's stick to the East right now. Ohio state is obviously rolling crushes, Indiana 54 to seven. What's new. Uh, they're getting better as the season goes along. Yeah, sure as gravity waters, wet Ohio state's going to improve. So we'll, we'll get to them in due time. In due time, Michigan state had it off. There's really no one else in the big 10 East other than Michigan worth talking about. So, uh, well, we'll get to that game last over in the West. Uh, Minnesota now control their own destiny after beating Maryland 34 to 16. Uh, credit to PJ Fleck and the boat rowers. Not really a huge fan of his lunacy and just general doofiness. But, uh, I mean, to lose the Bowling Green, who's a bad team, lose your two starting running backs, good for them. They're back in on track now and looking pretty solid. I like to see a team display some sense of resiliency, which his teams have. They always plays very passionate. Just- not my cup of tea. Like it's apparently working for them, but the Big Ten West is weird. It's a very, very strange division. Yeah, it's kind of like over in the Pac-12. What are they? The North and the South over there. Whatever the one with like Washington State is. Like no one wants to win that division, and that's what it looks like out out in the West, uh, where Wisconsin beat Purdue, fresh off beating Iowa, and uh, for just a brief, ever so brief, glorious moment, Purdue was ranked, but Wisconsin now four and three, back on track as we thought they might. Yeah, Wisconsin could easily just run this thing all the way to the title. They still have, I believe, Minnesota and Iowa ahead of them. So it could get really wacky this season in the West. Yeah, it kind of already is. And uh, at 4-3 and three with that win, uh, Wisconsin now looking like our best win. And Miami finally gets a win for uh, Michigan State as their best opponent. Miami beat NC State, ranked number 18 this week. So both teams getting a little bump from uh, our best victories up to this point. Uh, Cincinnati and Oklahoma both squeak by inferior opponents. That matters because the first rankings will come out after this week. It is a good bet that whoever is undefeated after this week is going to move past probably, uh, I I don't know, you move past Ohio State, Alabama, you could pass Cincinnati, you could pass Oklahoma. So um, some guys in front of us looking uh, a little bit more vulnerable than they have in the past. It's going to be very interesting because this game dictates so much. And obviously the pressure is there. We're going to talk about all the coverage and everything going into this game with the game days and big noon kickoff. But yeah, a lot rides here. I mean, not just pride, but I mean, this is polling position. This is a massive deal to get in this first one and have a good spot 
And yeah, Oklahoma squeaks by Kansas on that questionable Caleb Williams strips the ball after forward progress is stopped. It was like, oh, didn't know we could do that still here. Sir. Well, I don't know because I thought Hassan Haskins' progress has been stopped about six dozen times this year, and I'm wrong every time. So what do I know about progress? How dare, how dare you what do question I know? Hassan Haskins? <laughs> well, so what do I know about progress being stopped? But um, yeah, and uh, Oklahoma State, who was right in, uh, in between Michigan and Michigan State in the rankings, they lost to Iowa State allowing room for Michigan State to move up. So that is worth mentioning. That'll move them up to number eight. But the uh, the game really worth talking about here, Penn State loses in nine overtimes. That is not a typo, and I did not misspeak. Nine overtimes um, in that game to Illinois. I mean, this is an Illinois team that was two wins coming into this, and this was an absolute bizarre game at Happy Valley. Uh, what did you take away from this just strange, strange game where you go nine overtimes and still hit the under? Brett Bielema was in his bag, insulted his whole team at the beginning of the week, and then he comes out and just slow roasts and sauces up Penn State like their ribs on a grill on a Sunday afternoon. The man showed no mercy, wiped the stains off his face, and just pounded the rock repeatedly. It was great great nonsense of Big Ten football. He is the maestro of meat, the sultan of salami. And I did not think that a, uh, a method for motivating your team was to just say that none of them should even start here at this program. <laughs> that's a bold call, but like that's why this dude is the maestro, man. He knows what he's doing over there, and he motivates them. And they ran all over Penn State in this game. Uh, Sean Clifford did not look like himself. Uh, and, you know, subsequently now the line for the Penn State Ohio State game is 18 and a half Ohio State is favored for so um yeah apparently Vegas and, and the college football playoff committee and everyone kind of saw the same thing that maybe Penn State's in some serious trouble here I would just love to inject some chaos and have Penn State upset Ohio State like all would be right in the world it would just be so great to see it would be glorious so James Franklin um <laughs> James Franklin, you and I have always been a little bit critical of him. Find him to be a bit overrated. Great recruiter, bit overrated as a coach. Uh, there is definitely some serious chatter now that he is looking uh, elsewhere at the end of this season. Um, that is evidenced by the fact that he fired his agent and hired a new agent, Jimmy Sexton, who was kind of like the guru of getting his guys the best coaching deal. Um, and then aside from that, in a Zoom conference call that was just earlier today, uh, they were asking me about his job future, and he said, I can't be focused on that. I need to focus on Illinois right now. Not apparently realizing that he already <laughs> lost to Illinois, and this week's opponent is Ohio State. So either he is dwelling on the loss, or he forgot who he's playing this week. Either way, not a great sign that Franklin is yeah. engaged on this season. Seems a little distracted. Now, I have a question for you. James Franklin, you know, he's well-known and has the resume as a great recruiter. Is James Franklin a good hang? No, tough hang. Seems like a weird guy, wants to fight the fans when they say things to him, pops off at random things. Um, I just imagine him being like a total football guy, though. I just don't think that you'd be able to talk to him about much other than football, where I know people that have hung out with Harbaugh and says that he's a pretty good hang and you can talk fishing and beer with him. Would you rather hang out with James Franklin or Dabo Sweeney? Probably Dabo. I think Dabo, like, I'd, I'd just like to pick his brain. He's been in bigger situations. He's won some national championships. His players seem to love him, even though he has some strange takes on things. I think it'd just be a more interesting hang. Who do you got? Okay. 
Now, I, I think I'm with that as well. Dabo's kind of like, uh, he has that weird PJ Fleck energy. Yeah. Very, very feminine very, very energy. Strange yeah. energy, yeah. That, uh, <laughs> you, you, you put Fleck and Dabo together to see who comes out alive. I like that. I'm here for it. Uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on in that game, do we like this new overtime format where after the third overtime, it just goes into two-point conversion contests? And I mean, that's the reason this went to nine overtimes. I would have loved to see 10. I just wanted to see it get into double digits for hilarity's sake. But what, what did you think about this? The longest game in college football history by overtime standards. Um, it was, I don't want to go one way or another yet. I'd like to see two competent teams like play in this many overtimes and see if the stakes are like higher with teams answering a score. If they go first and second, this game was just abysmal and like really difficult for anybody with like, you know, vision. And so I want to give it some time. Like maybe if you had like Oklahoma and Ohio state going back and forth, maybe I'd feel differently. Yeah. But the purpose of this was because games were too long and they're worried about player safety. Archer Sitkowski broke his arm in one of the many overtimes one of the nine overtimes. So I don't necessarily know that they've solved the problem that they set out to solve. And that game went on forever. Um, and it was on right after the Michigan Northwestern game. So you and I are just watching this with glee as it's like a 10, 10 game in nine overtimes or 13, 13 game. Absolute lunacy. It was just like, it was like, it was like watching a subpar Michael Bay movie. Like it's not the good ones you love, like Armageddon or the Turtles. rock, but it's like, <laughs> <laughs> this was the Ninja Turtles of football games. Like, it's still going. It's still on. Do we need two hours and 20 minutes of animated turtles? All right. Your name is Arthur, not Arthur. Did they forget the H? <laughs> I really wanted to turn it off, but I couldn't because it was like a train wreck. So I don't know. I listened to Herbie's podcast. They were not fans of it at all. Um, they said that it was ludicrous, but I agree. Like maybe if it's Oklahoma, Ohio state or something, you change your tune on it and it should never go nine. I mean, that is just incompetence. Brandon Peters yes, gets I mean, the win though. Peters comes in and saves him. BP, a guy I once said was the second worst BP disaster besides the one that happened in the Gulf. So good for you, Brandon. Hey, good on you, man. I, it was good to see him come in for the injured Sit Sitkowski and you and I kind of begrudgingly respect that Illinois team and, do not really like the Penn State Franklin team. So that was glorious for me. And just one less team we got to worry about on our climb to Big Ten East champions. We make so much fun of Brett Bielema. He's actually become endearing to me. Yes, great hang. <laughs> I guarantee. Yeah. Oh, oh, top tier. Top tier hang. He's on the grill and he's just going to give you anecdotes that are probably maybe borderline inappropriate, but hilarious. <laughs> He's going to insult everybody at the party, and then you're going to love him even more for it. Yes, I'm here for it, man. <laughs> All right, uh, that's enough. Anything else from around college football or the Big Ten that you wanted to touch on? No, Pat Fitzgerald is still a good coach, and I respect Northwestern and their program. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in. we'll talk about that game. But first, got to take a moment to talk about our people over at Home Field Apparel. Been working with this company now for, oh, man, over a year now, coming up on two years out of Indianapolis. The most affordable and incredibly comfortable sportswear brand that is out there i wear it as soon as you know the leaves start to change that's when i'm really locked in and i'm wearing nothing but hoodies wearing it right now licensed apparel company that's got you covered with a wide range of schools and designs you can get 20 percent off your first purchase with mnb at checkout at homefieldapparel.com all right brother 33 to 7 over northwestern they cover the spread. You and I said, maybe stay away from that. And at times it was close. The spread actually ballooned to 23 and a half before this game. Uh, and they are able to cover this. 
but let's get your thoughts on this game as a whole. We can start any way you want, as there's no format here. You want to start first half, or you want to go offense, defense? Let me just give a slight overview. We can get to the offense first here. So I thought this game was just a sleepwalking performance, but they sleptwalked to a 33-7 victory and didn't play many starters in the fourth quarter. That's, that's how good this team is. They have a very high ceiling. They didn't overlook them, but they were definitely peaking past them. Like all focus and attention has clearly been on Michigan State, and it should be to an extent. So the performance was just kind of sleepy, but you got through it. You shook off the rust from the bye week. And offensively, we relied on the bread and butter. We relied on Shake and Blake and H2O, and it was it was glorious at times. Yeah, great uh, great names coming now, like yes. later in the season here. Shake and Blake and H2O, I'm here for both of them. They've both earned their nicknames uh, now with uh, Blake Corm at around 730 yards rushing. Son Haskins is over 600 for the season, so they are both on pace for 1,000 yards. The defense stands strong in this one. Uh, allow seven points on that one play that we will get to. I agree with you. It was, uh, you're not going to take a ton away from this. They did not put much on film, but there is some stuff that definitely felt, especially in the second half of this, when we scored coming right out of the half, it felt like they were looking to next week a little bit with the play calling. And we can get into that um, as we go into this analysis. So let's start with the offense here, I think. Actually, let's start with the defense and then we'll end with the offense. We Let's mix it up here. Uh, defensive positives here. There's a lot of them. Seven points allowed. We are now, we were 95th in scoring defense at this point last year in the season. We are second right now. So I'm going to go ahead and lock in my correct prediction that I said was a lock. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the back. This is the most improved defense in the nation as of right now. Kudos, Mike McDonald and Steve Klingscale. Absolutely. They've already played more games than last season. Last game exactly. was a six so game. That's, yeah, have... that's why I'm locking it in. I'm, it <laughs> is the most improved defense in the nation. It's another data point right there. No, the defense was outstanding. I mean, they played almost a flawless game. They gave, I mean, the Achilles heel right now has been the screens and slants and misdirection, but it's good to have a little bit of that exposure against an inferior opponent like Northwestern. So you can kind of shake it out and prepare for it. But I'd rather teach an aggressive defense discipline than try to make a disciplined defense aggressive. So a nice problem to have. I'm with you. And um, early on in this game, Hutchinson continues to be a menace. Ojabo's getting some pressure. Northwestern did a good job scheming away from them keeping him just far out enough uh, away from the play, kind of like you saw against Nebraska, which we said maybe the way to beat Aiden Hutchinson is to just not let him have a second and a half to do anything, just basically do anything away from wherever he's at. And that's not really a strategy. That's just like, well, we can't let that guy have more than three seconds because he's going to get past his man, even if you double team him. Um, so he was a menace in this, but... I really got to give a lot of props to the cornerbacks in this one, particularly DJ Turner. I wanted to wait to get there because this is the most excited I've been for a development, maybe all season, like because we kind of knew coming in what we had, uh, maybe not with the running backs and the O-line to that extent, but on the defense, this is a huge, huge development because DJ Turner just played the best game a cornerback has played all year at the corner position, full stop. Yeah. I, I am in complete agreement with this one because it's not just the interception. It's every time he was targeted, he's running stride for stride with receivers. He has his head around. His hands are very active. He's not grabbing or anything. Like, just, I mean, almost like flawless technique. And Mike McDonald came out in this game with five defensive backs. 
even like just mixing it up with coverages and schemes and looks back there. And he thrived. He was in the game as, as cornerback three, but played like a one. And he was targeted several times in this. Obviously, something happened over the bye week with DJ Turner where they wanted to get him on the field more and showed that they were justified in that thinking because he came out there and looked as good in man coverage as I said during the, the, the actual game that I thought it was as good as anyone since David Long has looked as far as getting their head around, being in the right position, being on. Now, maybe he was just locked up against receivers that are way less athletic, or maybe it was just a one-game deal. But for one game, DJ Turner looked amazing, and that could be huge for this defense. It's massive, and this is a good game to get him in there and get some run before you go into the Michigan States when you're going to need to be able to rotate some of these guys in there. So it's going to be interesting to see where he lines up against Michigan State. Are you buying or selling DJ Turner as cornerback number one going into Michigan State? I'm selling right now. Okay. I'm selling right now, but I it's it's a conversation I'm willing to have. But the other guys were I mean, not even tried, so true. I respect that. That's too. true, and you know maybe that was part of it. Is oh they've got this DJ Turner guy out there. We're gonna we're gonna see what he's got, and you know maybe the other guys were just blanketing. I, I'll have to rewatch specifically and look at Gray and Green in this. I have done one rewatch, but I was kind of more just enamored with watching DJ Turner because you know I love me some secondary play and when i see good corner play like that is that's enough to get me giddy and my favorite thing about all of the cornerback play i think something that Klingscale brought there is the physicality and dj turner had that on display as well with a tackle for loss back there just well scouted well prepared knew the play was coming and blew it up in the backfield so i've never this is the best complete group of corners tackling at michigan that i can remember it is a really good um, run support and tackling secondary. You're absolutely right. And even DJ Turner's one negative play, the pass interference upon replay was a horrible call. And he was in great position again and got thrown. Should have been offensive pass interference. So uh, great game for the corners. I would give the corners overall in this game an A, the first time I would do that all season. Um, linebackers in this one did struggle a little bit. And as you mentioned earlier, we're kind of seeing that if there is an Achilles heel, it can be done with misdirection, multiple formations, confusing these linebackers a little bit. And we saw it again, although only on one play there. What did you see on that play? Uh, the, the what was it, 75-yard touchdown from Hull there? Yeah, one Hull, hell of a back. I was really impressed with that kid, especially his top-end speed. He's he's a physical little guy. He was, I mean, he was something to, something to worry about. And like a nice... He's like the he's like the Coke Zero version of Kenneth Walker. Yeah, no, I so agree. Like, he has Walker speed, but probably not as physical as Walker is as a back. Correct. So it was nice. The the linebackers were just they took bad angles. Uh, Brad Hawkins also took a bad angle on the players, kind of sleepwalking at that time. The offense had a sloppy finish to that drive. You come out there, the Northwestern hasn't threatened you in any way, shape, or form. So it's like okay, they'll run the ball. We'll go to halftime. But no, they fell asleep, got punched in the mouth, and they quickly realized you can't do that for even one play, even against Northwestern. No, no, definitely not, and especially not against Michigan State, which we will cover extensively in the second half of this podcast. But they are number two in the Big Ten for explosive plays. The number one team is actually Michigan. So for teams that you think of being very plodding, methodical offenses, these are teams that have actually done a lot through the big play. Big plays being 30, I think it's 30 yards or more. I forget what, I so. yeah, I forget if they put it at 30 or 35. So this is a team that you need to be very, very conscious of that big play. And 
it's going to be a lot more detrimental to give up a 75-yard run to Michigan State than it was to Northwestern. So you were able to eat that in this one. Really the only negative on defense. The defensive line once again shined. Mike Morris looked good in this one. And uh, Hutchinson and Ojabo, again, continue to be one of the better pass-rushing duos in the Big Ten, or in the nation for that matter. Yeah, and Chris Hinton on the inside is clogging up lanes. He has been fantastic. Uh, they had the big sack play with Morris, Ojabo, and Hutch all getting home, and it was Hinton commanding the double team and pushing it backwards. So it's really nice to see those tackles progress this season. Sporting News has him as a third-round pick as of right now, so Christopher Hinton is rising up draft boards. We are not the only ones taking notice. Uh, all right, let's move to the offense. Let's start with the good. The offensive line did not return Zach Zinter in this one. Um, was I don't think Keegan played too much. No, no, no Keegan either. So based on what we heard last week, hopefully they were saving them for Michigan State and they're good to go. Uh, if I were a betting man, I'd think you'd get Zinter back. I don't think you're going to be able to keep him out of this one. Um, so offensive line looked really strong again in this one. Anything you want to talk about there? Uh, I'm going to tie it in to our, our next group as well. But no, they were outstanding. Vastardis had some amazing pulling plays. Like it, He sealed the edge on one of the Haskins. I think it was the, uh, the last Haskins touchdown. And his positioning, everything. I mean, it was erotic. It was so good. <laughs> and along with them, again, Eric All oh. continues to be a crushing, crushing blocking like uh, tight end for this team. He is dominating people. And they even said when he was on the Jansen pod, like that's what he wants to do in games. He doesn't care about receiving as much. He wants to crush people with blocks. Uh, look, we have talked a lot about Eric All already on this podcast. I think that he needs to get more run even than he did in this game. Uh, this was his best game receiving thus far. He had five receptions, only 34 yards, and he was our leading receiver. So we'll get into that when we get to the quarterback. But I do like that there was a uh, concerted effort to get him the ball in this. And you're right about his blocking between him, Schoonmaker, and Honingford. Those guys are essentially extra linemen out there with how reliable that they are as blockers. So Eric All, I don't know what his PFF grade was for this game. I'm sure it was excellent. He had an awesome game. It was the Eric All and DJ Turner breakout game, which I am here for. And we're going to need more of that. Like, I'm going to keep preaching. Like, we need more from Eric All. And uh, he has no drops this season. Zero. And he had he has limited yardage, but all of his catches seem like they're meaningful, meaningful. Like third downs, long conversions. He's very physical over the middle, very reliable. So his confidence has to be sky high. And I love to see it, man. We always heard about the potential he flashed, and now we really get to see it. Yeah, he's going to be a big part of this offense moving forward. And based on what I saw, he should almost be your primary target. It should be maybe CJ1, all two, quorum three, like which is not how you draw it up. But it should be some combination of those three look like the best uh, receiving options that we have right now. Don't forget Roman Wilson's back, baby. He had a couple catches in this he one. He did have a couple catches. Um, all right, well, let's move over to receivers. Um, I like the effort to get A.J. Henning involved, mostly on reverses in this. I don't think he had a catch. Uh, no, what? he had the two two reverses, I think. Uh, two receptions for four yards. Okay. So, no, basically, no. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So no. Yeah. That is not, that's not really a receiving threat. Uh, but we did not really try to go to the air much in the second half of this one. And having Roman Wilson back is big. I, I'm still really high on him too. No hitting. Yeah, Roman Wilson coming back is awesome. Got a little bit of run, not much. Just get him some game action. Let him get hit again. So I expect a big comeback game for him if we have to go to the air against Michigan State. 
And Henning had that one reverse where he like got sandwiched between two guys and broke the tackle. So it was really good to see him get his confidence back after really struggling against Nebraska. Seemed like there were a couple guys that had really good bye weeks and got more run in this game than they had. A.J. Henning, Eric All, and D.J. Turner being the three that really come to mind. They were just on the field more, and there was an obvious effort to get Henning the ball. There was an obvious effort to get Eric all the ball. And then, like you said earlier, coming out with five defensive backs, that says to me, hey, we have something here with our secondary, let's put more of them out there. So a lot to learn coming off the bye week there. And yeah, the receivers left a lot to be desired in this one as a whole, only a hundred, oh, excuse me, I have the, the yards right here. It's uh, not great for Cade McNamara, 129 yards. He's 20 of 27, no touchdowns, no interceptions again, but that passing performance really started the dialogue and I think it may have been Joel Klatt in game when he brought it up but that really spread over to some of the Michigan writers it spread over to Twitter it's on Facebook now there's a real debate happening here if Cade McNamara's ceiling has been reached and that ceiling is not going to be enough for the second half of the season so we are not quarterback controversy guys here but now I would say that it's definitely in the realm of debate I think it's been, you know, it's been simmering a little bit. The heat turned up on it some this weekend. You and I still aren't jumping to conclusions here because Cade McNamara is not going to lose you football games. One interception needed, and we're seven and yeah. zero. <laughs> he had a he had a rough performance, and we won by twenty six points. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> it gets a little silly when you think about it. After watching the tape again. And seeing uh, McCarthy, although he had that one awesome play really towards the ends, like he just missed a, like an easy read across the middle. Cade McNamara doesn't miss those reads. Right. That's like one of the biggest things with him right now. He's a seasoned veteran, and you and I've been. Let's we're gonna keep rolling with this. Like this is this issue is not a controversy yet. Like let's spray some settled down juice on the fan base. Let's come down, take a breath, take a cold shower, and we're gonna keep going. Did you agree with any of what Klatt said? Because I'm, you and I are both big Klatt fans. And generally, I mean, the guy knows the quarterback position. He played quarterback in this league. Herb Street also kind of echoed the same thing. Eventually, you are going to need to pass to win. And we're going to get into this Michigan State game here. And against Wisconsin, we were able to pass to win. Do you see this as like Michigan's ceiling is being like held down because of Cade? I, I know, I know, I think I know the answer. So maybe I need to rephrase the question. Do we need that extra level for the second half of the season or can we win as is? We can win if Cade can get his deep ball back. That's the biggest thing because that'll stretch the defense out. He had the deep ball the first half of the season against Wisconsin. It was on the money and that was his best performance of the year against Nebraska. It started to slip a little bit and this was his worst deep passing game of the year. With that performance, I don't think we can win out. No, we need something better going down the field like that. He can improve. I mean, just it could be just a bad game. And this week, we're going to learn a lot. It's a porous pass defense, and if you're going to get back on track, we could we could use some of those plays, and we can see if he can get his touch back. You and I lauded his deep ball accuracy, especially coming off the last two guys we had to compare him to, which is Joe Milton and Shea Patterson. So even still with his roughest game going down the field, he's still a more accurate deep ball thrower than either of those two. But it mm -hmm. took a step backwards this week. His best throws were by far his intermediate throws. I was actually very impressed with, uh, I guess it'd be out routes, like 11 yards towards the sideline, which... When you're throwing from a drop back pocket is like a 30, 35 yards in the air kind of throw. Yeah. And those look really good in the first half. Those look, his intermediate throws look solid. 
with deep ball throws definitely as you said took a step back in this one and like we said in the first couple podcasts some of that has been receivers up to this point this felt more like Cade in this one didn't really even give his guys much of a chance on those deep balls so I agree with you. It definitely has to improve. I agree with Clatton Herb Street saying, like, if this is your ceiling, you're probably not a playoff team. But right now, if McCarthy were the guy, he'd be the guy. Like, yeah, I'd like to, to quote the Mark Zuckerberg character in Social uh, Social Network, if you were perfect. the inventors of Facebook, you would have invented Facebook. Exactly. And this is when it comes down to trusting the coaching staff. They have regained our trust this year. And Jim Harbaugh, more than anybody, wants to win because his contract and livelihood depends on it being as incentive-laden as it is now. So, yeah, they're not going to risk the season for putting a guy just to appease a fan base who wants to see him throw two picks to prove a point. No, we're going to win football games. It's frustrating, especially when you have people like Jordan Strack of WTOL, who's like a major writer, saying, I'm sorry, you need to start JJ. And then when people are like, what's your evidence? He says, you just don't know football. It's like, okay, maybe not, but I'm sure that Jim Harbaugh does, and I'm sure <laughs> Josh Gaddis does, and I'm sure Sharon Moore does. Like, if you put in JJ and he throws three picks, what do you do to his confidence? What do you do to Cade's confidence? And what do you do to this team? Facts. Facts. All Where is the lie? All of this is so true, and there have been so many just horrible takes. That was one of the worst. The hiding Bro. behind you just don't know football. Like, if that's your response, don't respond. Yeah. Like if you have a shallow comment, just stay behind it and piddle on. Like that's ridiculous. If you knew football so, more than them, you'd be coaching. Facts. Like what do you? Yeah. No, I trust the coaching staff with us. It's still Cade right now. JJ's on the come up. Like there, there will be. It'll come to a head eventually. But like let's set. We're undefeated. We're seven and zero. We just won by twenty six points and didn't play most starters in the fourth quarter. That being said. If there was a meltdown at any point, I do think that maybe it's not that the leash is shorter. He's not really on a leash. I would say that the incentive to play JJ increases every time McNamara kind of can't get it done like that. And if it happens in these bigger games, you may have opened the door to see a McCarthy series. Now, I know that's kind of a tepid response, but I could see in a, in a world if we go down 17 nothing in this, and we can't move the ball at all, and they're stacking the box, which they, you know, seem to think is the Step whole. the box, press the corner. Press the corner. That's the whole answer here. But I mean, to a degree, if you shut down our running game and we have to pass, and Cade can't do it, you may have opened the door for JJ. But that's as far as I'll go. I mean, that's... we are fans of this sport. We are not coaches. We are not elite analysts that played four years in the. I'm not Doug Flutie. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on out there. And none of these writers that are clamoring for the backup no more, any more than we do. So I, I, I'm, I'm with you, and it just feels like we have to put some settled-down juice on the whole conversation until the time comes, and it, and it might come sooner than we thought. Yeah, if you need the spark, and one thing that does help Kate is having a good running game. If, you, if they can't stop the run, why throw the ball just to do it? Like, What's the point? If, if you're pounding down a defense – and they are wearing down physically, and you can see it, that you almost have them to the point of complete submission. Why do you – I want to see a, I want to see a crossing route. I want to see a – no, I want to see a win. And I've seen seven of them so far. Name any other sport where you would do that. Like in basketball, if, you're, if you've made nine three-pointers in a row and you've got like the hottest hand out there, you're not going to go away from that. In hockey <laughs> – like if you've got something going like with your wing and you're just like, man, we've got something on our front on our front line there. Like we're going to keep uh, pressing the, the right side up there. 
you, you don't change it. You don't, you would never do that in any other sport. So it's just bizarre in this sport. And while we all agree balance is going to be great, you win with what got you here. Mariota Rivera had a great splitter and didn't need another pitch. No one was calling for the curve. Love it. That was the best one. Thank you for coming with one that was better than my hockey analogy because I, I don't watch enough hockey. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> it was I that sport. It, it's close. I'm a Blackhawks fan, so I act like I don't watch hockey right now, so it's I understand. Fine. I understand. All right, man. <laughs> uh, let's uh, – let's, oh, wait. Uh, for this game, uh, we had it – you had the score at 35-7, to 7, I believe, right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. So you won this one. I had it 41 to 10. You almost nailed this one. Players of the game, I had Dax Hill and Blake Corum. You had Nikai Hill Green and Blake Corum. I think we can maybe agree on this one. It's the DJ Turner game on defense. DJ Turner game on defense. Hutch is always disqualified from this. And offensively, Corum, Corum or Haskins. Yeah, Corum and Haskins or O line, but I'd say we got the win on that one. I'd say we called it pretty accurately. Cool. Also, we did not mention the one thing at receivers is uh, the very, very subtle introduction of Andrew Anthony's speed. Yes, something that I could see happening a little bit more. I don't think this team is very concerned about burning red shirts. We've already burned Edwards and McCarthy's. So no, we don't care. Don't we want to win. <laughs> win. Yeah, you're seven and zero. Just win, baby. All right, yep. uh, that's a good time for a break. Nice long first half because we got some talking to do in the second half. You're going to be sick of our voices by the end of it, but I'm already sick of hearing about Michigan State, so we're going to talk about that, and exclusively that, when we get back. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. It's hate week, people. A week that we circle on our calendar annually. It's the only reason I buy a calendar. There's nothing else on the thing. I just need to know that this is coming, and it is coming this weekend, and it will be the most important matchup of the last... 20 years between these two? Just say ever. ever? Let's just, let's let's just let's say prisoners of the moment ever. Yeah, I mean, both coming in ranked number six, ranked number eight, both of us in the top 10. This is a matchup for the ages. Undefeated, bragging rights on the line. You know, who owns the state? Uh, it is three. Harbaugh is three and three in his career against Michigan State. Now, the adage gets thrown around a little too much for my liking, biggest game of Harbaugh's career. And you and I are usually a little bit more lenient or hesitant to throw that out. I'm going to throw it out for this game. This is the biggest game of Harbaugh's career. We have been throwing that out, though, about this game since our preseason pods right. back in July. Like, we've been new. saying this. Yeah, we've not been saying it about Wisconsin. No, this has been it because this is the big one. We've blown several games against them last year, which we'll discuss, was ridiculous. Harbaugh's never lost in Lansing as a player or a coach. Balls are on the table for this one. Like, let's not sugarcoat. Like, this is the one you got. You have to win this game. Absolutely. And everything you said, we have been saying this since the beginning of the season because after last year's game, that was the most dejected that we were about this team since Harbaugh's been there, since we've been doing this podcast. We both called it a fireable offense. Um, at that time, Michigan State had just lost to Rutgers, uh, which looked like one of the worst teams on the planet. I think now, you know, the sense of emotions have cooled. We realized that last year was the biggest aberration that hopefully ever happens in college football. But that doesn't change the fact that this is a must win in order for this to be a successful season, unless you win out after this. But like, it's going to get ugly if you lose this one. So yeah, it's must win. Let's let's rewind the clocks, shall we? I want to give you some numbers that we've discussed off air that I think people forgot 
that what happened last year's game, Michigan lost 27, 24 at home second game of the season. And it was actually on, it was a year ago this coming Sunday. So, you know, nice little tie in, but I asked you off air, how many passes did Joe Milton attempt in this game? You thought I said completed at first, but then we clarified. He started at 16. We worked our way up. You're like, it's not past 24. I'm like, oh, it's higher than that. You're like, it's not past 30. I'm like, no, try 51, sir. Joe Milton threw the ball 51 times, ran it 12 more, and contributed to was 73% of this entire yeah. team's offense last year. Three of 86 offensive snaps were exclusively Joe Milton, either throwing the ball or rushing the ball. And so that leaves how many snaps did Blake and Hassan get? Wasn't it seven apiece? <sighs> Hassan Haskins had eight carries and one pass attempt. And <laughs> Blake Corum had five carries and two receptions egregious haven't used that term in a while but that is egregious play calling something tells me that's not going to happen this year i think that uh eight carries for hassan haskins is probably we're going to hit the over on that make things worse michigan had eight punts and 10 penalties in this game this is like what we call in the journalistic world a complete and utter disaster. Like FEMA should send them flowers for what happened last year. That is terrible. <laughs> I didn't have nearly as much confidence in the game until you told me that stat. 73% of our offensive attempts last year are on a different team right now. So that gives me actually a lot of confidence going into this. So yes, let's talk about last year just to get, you know, let's let's get it off the off the table, on the table, excuse me. It was, as we said, the closest thing to a fireable offense. But look at that offensive breakdown. Also, look at who was out in that game. Quiddy Pay, Aiden Hutchinson were, were throwing in completely like brand new guys that have never played at Michigan on the defensive line. And then you have Don Brown in there with Vincent Gray and Jamon Green, who we've learned are probably not the best man, man coverage cornerbacks in the Big Ten. Definitely not last year. Improved a little bit this year, but... So between Mike McDonald, the subtraction of Joe Milton, I mean, that right alone, like right there, and then the fact that Josh Gaddis certainly learned, I hope, something in this game. Between that and the, and the monsoon game where we passed it 50 times, I hope that they've learned that you need to try to run it in this game, even if you think that they are going to stack the box and press the quarters. A lot to unpack there. And in defense of Vincent Gray and Jamon Green, who we learned today when Vincent Gray spoke to the media, they didn't know who Ricky White was last year. He was their number one receiver, so they weren't teaching tendencies or anything like that. So I don't care if you have Richard Sherman out there playing that. If you're not going to show him tape or anything, that's a problem for anybody. So they've clearly improved because of it with Mike McDonald at the helm. And yeah, now we know why Michigan is running the ball so much this year because it's working. Look, look at last year's. That is just fifty-one pass attempts, five-one. Crazy, Crazy for, stat, yeah. For Joseph Milton, who is <laughs> benched at Tennessee right now, and it's just, it's just a running joke. So it is absolutely unbelievable. Michigan State has improved this year as well, though. Mel Tucker's got that team rolling, but. This Michigan team is night and day from last season, so I expect it to be completely different. And the 10 penalties, that's never going to happen this season. Yes, absolutely. Everything you said, correct. So we don't need to talk anymore about that horrific game last it's behind season. Behind us, it's gone. Yeah, it's gone. That was the last time. We had to touch on it because that was the last time that we saw them. That was at 
uh, Michigan Stadium, but it didn't matter. This one will be in East Lansing, but that doesn't matter. It's a high school football stadium. I expect Michigan to be well represented. I'm not trying to talk smack. I just don't think that if Nebraska and Wisconsin could phase us, I don't see East Lansing phasing us as far as environment. Lincoln at night compared to Lansing at noon. Like, come on. <laughs> what are we doing here? This is like going from a boxing match in Madison Square Garden to going to one in like a Kroger's parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes. As far as energy level, I would say that you're like, this isn't going to have nearly as much to do with the crowd as in those ones. So you can skip that. You just got to execute on the field. And as far as what we're going to experience on the field. Oh, last point on that. So happy it's a noon game. Oh, that's it's when God intended football to be played. It's the best time for all games. Like if Michigan football was played at noon every week of the every week of the season, I would be the happiest person on this planet. I'm I'm a big night game guy, so I'll push back on that a little bit. The night game early in the season is awesome. Just give me one though. Oh, oh, I might concede one, but you you're you're walking on thin ice around (laughs) me, sir. (laughs) Love love a good noon game here on the East Coast. You're gonna make a fine elderly dad. I already am probably. (laughs) Yeah, so glad that this one is at noon. Weird things happen in this game at night. Weird things happen in this game in the elements. As of right now, it's looking pretty good for the weather on Saturday. Might be some scattered showers, but I think for the most part, we should luck out there, which is fine for me. I, I want this one to be decided by the talent on the field and nothing else. Do you remember the last Michigan rain game, though? Like when rain was really a factor? Because I do. Yeah, it was this game. Or no, yeah. actually, no, it was the Notre Dame game was after that. Was after it was that. 2019 Notre Dame game, and at we're just going to bounce. Look, at, at what Joel Klatt called the actual cathedral of college football. Things are different was, in the cathedral of college football. They are, but we still have Hassan Haskins back there, baby, so that makes you feel true. It's true. Re- real good. I would rather they're not able to pass than we're not able to pass. I know everyone loves Kareem Walker, and he has 997 yards. Kenneth Walker. Kareem Walker is working at a Dairy Queen. Oh, yeah, my bad. <laughs> you know what I meant, though. I know what you meant. Yeah. Uh, Shouts out to Kareem not catching strays here. Kareem Walker, no need to be catching strays here in that coveted <laughs> year seven as the running back somewhere. Um, but yes, Kenneth Walker, I know there's like a lot of fear, like, oh, no, we don't want to get into a, a running game with him. We have a better offensive line. And while he has 997 yards from scrimmage, Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum have like 1,300 yards and 21 touchdowns from scrimmage. And we have the better offensive line. So I, you're right. Maybe the rain would be better for us, but I, I'm happy to just leave it out and we'll settle this, settle this like men. The the weirdest thing about the, these offensive lines, these offenses matched up against each other is Michigan State rotates offensive lines. They have like unit one and unit two, which I've never seen before in my entire life that they just like will rotate a whole unit out, like just disrupt rhythm and put some whole new five in. I didn't know that until you told me that last week. So basically what you're saying, and I have watched quite a bit of Michigan State, but I must not have caught that. They're taking out, instead of just one or two guys, they're going unit by unit, like in the middle of a tight game. Against Indiana, they rotated an entire unit for a drive. They just, they're like, yeah, they like to do this, like deploy a unit in there. I'm like, do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth? On offense, that's bizarre. On defense, you see it, like just to keep yeah. pass rushers fresh. You don't really see that on offensive lines very often. No, it's like platoon. I don't know what it is. It's very strange. It's like good luck getting in a rhythm against pass rushers like Hutchinson and Ojabo and everybody like, like that. It's just strange to me. So if they continue to do that, I mean, 
again, best of luck. Yeah, I wouldn't like that if my team were doing it. I mean, granted, they're also 7-0. and Things have been working. They have the nation's leading rusher. So that's something's working, but they have not played a, an opponent like Michigan by a long shot. I mean, their best opponent, um, according to the, uh, the college football rankings, which are done by who does that top 130? It's the NCAA, I think, does yeah. it? Yeah. So according to that, like that's the poll from like the coaches and from the media. Nebraska is their best win. And against Nebraska, they struggled to run the ball. So I, I don't know if that's going to work, like you said, when Aiden Hutchinson, Hinton, and Mozzie Smith are going to probably play 90% of the snaps in this game with guys like Morris and Jenkins and Jeter rotating in. But they're going to see our ones all game. They're going to see our ones. And to flip that to Michigan and Michigan's offensive line, what they're going to do to this front They've already faced a better front. They faced the best front in college football of Wisconsin. Wisconsin has and still has the best front seven in America. And Michigan rushed for over 100 yards on them. So I I do believe they're going to be able to establish the run against guys like Slade and Panashuk. So I just, I, I feel confident about that. They've seen better fronts. Michigan State's offensive line has not seen a front nearly as good as Michigan's all season. And to, to back that up, the number 10 passing defense is Wisconsin. So no slouch in the passing game. And in that game, Caden McNamara had his best game throwing for 253 yards. Now, a lot of that came on that flea flicker, which was, you know, an incredible explosive play that netted like 60 or 70 yards. But nonetheless, Caden McNamara has shown that against, you know, a good passing defense, he can still put it out there. And this Michigan State passing defense is not quite as heralded and this is not nearly as good of a run defense so if you're going to look for a game for some optimism i think that wisconsin game and what we were able to do on offense should provide you that optimism yeah like you said wisconsin has the 10th rated pass defense and michigan state is 121 in the country So significant drop off there. Right. So if you're going to get Cade on track and do it with the deep ball, you could take some shots in this game and see what he's got because this secondary of Michigan State is very, very vulnerable. All right. So we're going to go real quick. Uh, stats versus stats. And then I have a, a question that I've been aching to ask you here. All right. So uh, we got rush yards or total yards per game. Who do you think has more? Michigan. Michigan, 442 to 406 for nice. Michigan State. All right, pass yards per game, you probably – it's Michigan, Michigan State. State. They got 285 to our 189. All right, mm-hmm. rush yards per game. Who do you got there? Michigan. We got them doubled up. Woo! Doubled up on rush yards per game. That is one of the biggest, biggest, most jarring stats of this. Points per game. Mm, scoring? Um, scoring. Gonna get- scoring. Oh, that's uh, Michigan by almost double 37.7 to 18.7 points per game. They're not scoring three touchdowns a game. That's interesting. No, they're not scoring three touchdowns a game. Wow. Very interesting. Uh, Red zone efficiency. Who you got? Michigan State. Michigan. 90% to 80%. Okay. So that's just scoring percentage. Scoring percentage. Yeah. yeah. For touchdowns, that'd be interesting. I don't have that stat here. Um, that I'll would be it. an interesting. Yeah, if you can get that. All right, yep. let's go to the defense here. Total yards per game allowed. Who you got? I think you already know it. We've discussed it. Uh, Michigan. Michigan, big time. Four fifty-one per game allowed by Michigan State. Two ninety-nine per game allowed by Michigan. Pass yards per game. 
allow oh we're killing them in that they're almost the worst in the country they're they're (laughs) really bad yeah as you just said they are way down there they're at 60th now according to this stat though at 251 per game to our 182 per game all right here's a big one though this is the maybe the last one we need to touch on other than scoring rush yards per game michigan or allowed i'm sorry um who's allowed less who's winning the category michigan Big time, 116 to 200. All right, last one. Scoring, <laughs> points per game, defense. Oh, we're the number two in the country. Unless they're Georgia, they're not above they, us. They ain't Georgia. 14 to 34. So with all those stats that I just threw out there, they're a better passing offense, and that's it. That's and it. I got, and Michigan is better for touchdowns in the red zone. Barely. We're 60.61%. They're 58.62. Man, people say that we just talk nonsense on this podcast and are a bunch of just drunken lunatics at the end of the bar, but those are some stats for you right there, baby. Those We have them written down on our bar napkins. We're sitting down here screaming. <laughs> yeah, they're written on a bar napkin, but they're accurate. <laughs> it's a, it's a, t- a TV that's turned off. We're screaming, look at that. Look at the play. <laughs> yes, so when that's, you look at this, a- it's fascinating, right? Yeah, like, like it kept going. Like I felt like I wanted to say Michigan State to guess, but it's like, no, when you think about it, no, that's that's Michigan. Uh this is Michigan. They've played a harder schedule as well, which keep in yep. mind that is also true. So wow, that's between those numbers and the Joe Milton numbers last year, I'm feeling a little optimistic. That's why Vegas has it as a four and a half point spread. We'll get to our thoughts on the spread. All right. That brings me to this question. I couldn't wait to ask you. I've never asked you this on this podcast. So generally they say that an offensive coordinator will scheme up the first 15 plays. If you were the offensive coordinator and we get the ball first, what are your first three plays? You don't have to give me like the exact play, but like, what are you trying to do with your first three plays? If you're Josh Gaddis in this game, play one is a play action deep shot off of Hassan Haskins to Roman Wilson. Whoa. I love it. I love it. Just to kind of throw, throw your onions on the table play play two, assuming that doesn't hit, assuming it doesn't hit. Play two, you go with a short swinging pass to Blake Corum. You get the ball in space. It's a very sure catch. Try to get some yards back. And then if it's third and short, you pound the rock with Haskins. That's where I'm going right now. I like that. I like that to start. I'd go a little different. I'd look to get maybe eight yards on a play action fake to Haskins and hit Eric All or maybe CJ coming across the middle to start to establish that rhythm. So I like that you start with a pass. I agree. Mm-hmm. I would start with a pass as well. Um, assuming I get maybe five, six yards on that, I'm running the next two or three plays to do exactly what you said, to set up some play action into this on the first drive. So I would probably try and get five, six to eight with Eric all right off the bat. I might try a swing pass to Corum. I really liked that as well. Um, but then I'm letting the running backs dictate this. They need to have 17, 18, 20 carries a piece in this. So it's got to start drive one. Uh, but I like where your head's at. I think there should be a shot drive one. Early, really break some tendencies. And I like what Josh Gaddis said on the John Jansen podcast this week said, he, he seems to have corrected all of his mistakes and he gets it. It's, I got to get these guys 20 touches a game. That doesn't leave that much to go around. And it's like, that's a great point. If you're giving each of these running backs 20 carries and then some passes mixed in, like they're going to, they should get the bulk of it. There are best players on the best skill position players on the offense. So although I'm opening up with a shot, 
I'm not going to get away from the bread and butter too much. No, the shot is almost more just to keep them honest, you know, which yes. they will. They've taken shots in every single game and they have largely been unsuccessful. You can name the two really successful plays, the flea flicker. And then the other one was against Northern Illinois. Where it well, I mean, the Mikey Sainer's still in Nebraska. That was great, but probably should have been a touchdown. So should have been, you know, should have been, you know, it's uh, you give it a B. Western Ronnie Bell. Well, yep. Uh, man, seems like a different season since we lost Ronnie Bell. Oh, RIP. Yeah, RIP to that one. But I agree with you. I agree that that should be the formula here. What do you think that Michigan State's – all right, let's start with their offense. What is their offensive plan of attack going to be? Because they have been fairly successful, 1,700 yards passing for Peyton Thorne. Does have the four picks, but has 15 touchdowns. How many touchdowns passing do you think Cade McNamara has? Five. It's five. <laughs> they have three <laughs> times as many passing touchdowns as we do. But again, Cade McNamara has five, and Haskins and Corm combined for 21. I'm glad it's not the other way around. I agree. <laughs> I agree so, with that. But Michigan State, they were a little bit exposed against Indiana. Maybe they were sleepwalking into the bye week. But if they can't get Kenneth Walker going, they're in big trouble. That's what has hindered them against Nebraska as well early in the season when it took them overtime to win that one. So they're going to do what Michigan's going to do. They want to establish the run, and they're going to take shots. But and they're gonna if Walker can't go, they'll become really one dimensional, like really one dimensional. Michigan has found ways, like against Wisconsin, to keep pounding the ball with both backs, alternating them in there, and still get the yards and take those shots. So we're gonna expect a heavy dose of Kenneth Walker early on. Expect some deception to really try to set up the screen game with him as well. And then let's hope for you know a little more DJ Turner on the outside. They did look a little one-dimensional against Indiana. I'm going to throw that out. I think that they'll be able. I think they're going to come in like they're going to be lit up for this game as well. And I would say they're not one-dimensional because of Reed and Naylor. I mean, it's ridiculous. They both have 27 receptions. Reed leads with 562 yards, but Naylor's right behind him with 512. Reed has five touchdowns. Naylor has six. This is one of the best one-two receiving punches in the nation, let alone in the Big Ten. They are really, really good. Both of these guys are going to play on Sunday. And Peyton Thorne is a higher-rated quarterback than Cade McNamara right now. Make no mistake, this is the best passing offense we'll have gone against up to this point. Do you agree? I do agree, but I want to take a breath there because uh, stat watching can get the best of all of us. And True. Their Nebraska game was not inspiring. Uh, Neither, was Thorne, Neither was ours. It wasn't, but it wasn't. Their leading receiver in that game was Trey Mosley with 70 yards. Yeah, that's true. The difference between their performance against Nebraska and ours, I would just encourage the listeners to look at the box. Just the box score from that kind of tells a different story. Time of possession, yards, whereas we were able to answer the call every time Nebraska scored, and that was more our defense having a rough game and getting out of position against some good play calling. They struggled against Nebraska to move the ball and At kind home. of survived. It was in Lansing it as was well. In Lansing, yeah. And they kind of survived that where it felt like we did fight back to earn it. I know that's maybe a cheap fan take there, but it just feels that way. But yeah, Kenneth Walker, 61 yards rushing. Leading receiver was Trey Mosley with 70. So when they've been against their best opponents, they've really sputtered. So I think this is going to be a huge jump up for them. And I really want to see these corners, this defense, and everybody see how they respond to the adversity because the our biggest revenge game this year was Wisconsin, and we were playing backups in the fourth quarter. Yes, absolutely. This is also going to be a game where two things that I wanted to touch on for this 
One was the uh, the big plays, which have started to become a thing against this Michigan defense. And two is execution either going right into half or coming out of half. Now, we've had several touchdowns now, the two most notable being the Wisconsin right before the half and then Northwestern right, right before the half, where we've both had the opportunity to score touchdowns and settle for field goals and then allow a touchdown. So there's been huge swings right around the half of us settling and then allowing a touchdown. And I don't know, I don't have the exact numbers of what those swings are, but you got to really button down there at the end of the half when you've got a chance to either push that lead instead of seven or 10 to, excuse me, 10 to nothing, you push that to 14 to nothing. Or instead of it being, you know, 17 to seven, you know, you push it to 24 to seven or whatever it may be. You've got to have touchdowns and going in and out of the half is uh, is just been an area of a slight concern. Now you're you're dead on. And Northwestern, you look back just a week ago, Michigan should have been up twenty one nothing at half. They score their first time and the second time in the red zone. Uh, Sainter still doesn't fumble and gets in, and you don't allow a seventy five yard run. But I mean, it's a lot of what ifs. But that's three plays that change the score from ten right. to seven to twenty one to nothing, and that's what they have to capitalize on this game because the little things teasing my article coming out tomorrow have always added up in these Michigan, Michigan state games. And that can make the difference here, especially. Yes. And then the second part of that was the big plays. Nebraska really made it a game using almost exclusively the big play and uh, Northwestern. It was just the one play. It was just, you know, the linebackers being, it's hard to say what happened in that. They just didn't fill properly. I, I, I don't know. Like it looked like going through the motions. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really know. It's hard to say what happened on that. A bunch of guys just made some uncharacteristic mistakes, but if you make that against Kenneth Walker, he will make you pay Naylor and Reed will make you pay. So it's gotta be disciplined because I fully agree. And I can't wait to read your article that's coming out because these series tend to come down to one or two or three or four plays, you know, think dropped punt muffed punt in 2015. If you want a, a pretty clear example. That's a very easy one, but go two plays before that. We can't rush for five yards on two attempts, get a first down, and win the game with with anything. So there's a lot of moments that are going to be in this game to swing it back and forth. It's going to get chaotic and wacky like Spartan games always do. Think of 2018, the tip ball in the air off of Peoples-Jones that Zach Gentry catches, the Nico Collins tip catch there. I mean, it's going to get weird, weird because it's Michigan State and this is what it does. It's going to be tense. It's going to be painful. But that's what makes the reward so great when it, it turns in our favor. All right, give me your keys to the game on offense for Michigan. It's it's very simple, but I'm going to try to expand it a little bit. I think it is taking shot, connecting on deep shots to keep the defense honest and then rushing, rushing, and rushing the ball into a more limited box. Haskins, Corum, I don't care if neither people touch the ball, to be honest. Give those two guys, pound the rock, you can wear down this team. But again, we have to connect on some shots to really open things up. What do you think? I like what you're saying there. I don't know that you need to even hit on the deep shots because we haven't hit on many of them. I, I think I that you're that. right about the big play. I think that we need to have at least one or two in this. Um, quick sidebar, I've got the over-under three and a half for plays over 30 yards in this. What do you think? Both teams. Combined? Yeah. Over. I think over two. I agree. I think Michigan's probably got at least two or three in their bag alone. But so, yeah, I agree. There's going to be some big plays in this one. So, yes, got to hit some big plays. Doesn't necessarily have to be on the deep shot. I think Corum as a receiver and Eric all 
receiving, give you a chance for some big plays. Um, ways to flip the field. Special teams are going to be massive in this game. Do not discount them. They've played a role in almost every single game. I think the key is you gave 51 touches to Joe Milton, or you gave, excuse me, 63 touches to Joe Milton last year. You got to give at least 40 to Haskins and Corum. I think if you do that and you let them have their say in this game, you're going to be ahead of the sticks more than you're not. And then the other key is Cade McNamara has to play his best game. He has to play better than he did against Wisconsin, which was his best game up to this point. He's heard the noise this week. There's no way he couldn't have. Joel Klatt called him out in the game. Harbaugh said post game, we left meat on the bone, particularly in the passing game. Like he's been challenged this week. Those receivers have been challenged. I don't necessarily think they need to own the day, but we're averaging 189 pass yards per game. Do we need more than that? Or will that be enough to win this game? I honestly don't think we need more to win this game, but I think to win comfortably, you need over 200. I think so too. I agree. All right. What's the keys of the game on defense? Stop Kenneth Walker. It starts right there, nice and simple. Stop Kenneth Walker, contain the big play. It's very, it's kind of similar to both sides of the ball here. They've been very bend, don't break. Pass defense has been exploited for Michigan State far more, though. But they, for Michigan, stop Kenneth Walker, and you got to make Peyton Thorne really uncomfortable. You hit him a few times against Indiana, he got real shaky back there. So it's like you can get physical with him, but you stop the run first and then force this team to try to be air raid, which they're not. Right. And I mean, they're thinking the same thing. Stop our running attack. It's easier said than done. Kenneth Walker leads the nation in rushing for a reason, but he's one guy, you know, and we've done pretty well against the run. We're the number two scoring defense. Our rush defense is solid. It's right up there. I would agree with you that if you can keep them to one dimensional and make them beat you through the air, uh, they're going to try to do the same thing to us. I'm sure, you know, it's Big Ten football. Whoever runs the ball more yep. and better is probably going to win this game. But yes, I mean, do that, and then you got to take away one of those guys. So DJ Turner, please prove last week was real. If we can shut down one of Reed or Naylor and just make it one guy we got to deal with, we've got Dax Hill, we've got Jamon Green, who's looked pretty solid in coverage, I think we'll hold up. I think we'll hold up. So I will agree with you that it is limit him, keep him under 90 yards rushing, and I love our chances in this. Absolutely, and that thing said as well is discipline. It's not getting too caught up in the sway. Like it's it's staying assignment sound with him, with especially Kenneth Walker setting up screens because that would be a fear as well. Getting him out there, so you eliminate him running the ball and catching those plays. Stay disciplined. I mean, and hope the referees catch any illegal men. You know, kind of like in Nebraska game, they didn't. So I, I'm not as afraid of the receivers as you are. Maybe I should be, but I trust this defense to be schemed up well with a lot of help over the top, especially with Dax Hill. Could be a nice Dax Hill game. Um, but yeah, I think it starts up front with Kenneth Walker. Man, it's with there's one player on the defense that has to have their best game of the season. Who is it? I'm going to go with one of the line, freshman linebackers. They've been challenged. The misdirection has gotten them out of sorts um, at times. Mel Tucker is not necessarily an offensive-minded coach. You know, he's a defensive guy, former defensive coordinator at Alabama, known for his defense. But if he saw anything in that Nebraska-Northwestern game, there's ways to get these linebackers out of position and coverage. So I would say if Junior Colson has his best game, we're in great shape, both stopping the run, and when he's asked to drop back into coverage, I think that would put us in great shape because I trust Hutch and Dax. So I'm not yeah. going to say either of them. I think that if they play their normal game, it's good enough. 
there. So I'll go with somebody that's struggled. Hill Green and Colson last couple weeks. I won't even say struggled. They've just they've had some errors that some lapses. Yeah, some freshman errors. So I'll go. Yeah. Colson plays his best game. I love our chances. Who do you got? It's a great question. I'm right there with you. I would I would say Josh Ross, captain of the tough defense. Game last week for him, yeah. A little, I mean, tough, little but he still tough, had like so, he, like two pass breakups, big hits. Yeah. So if he has his best game of his career against Michigan State, there's no way this team is losing. I love because he is just he's going to be keyed in the inside, big on stop and run, the captain of the defense. But you, you know how tempted I would just want to be like Vincent Gray takes away a corner, but it's it's Josh Ross. You and I are on the same page with it's got to be linebacker. But now offensively, who has their best career day and it's a guaranteed win. It's Cade Fact. McNamara. That's the easiest yeah. question you've <laughs> ever asked me in your entire life. If Cade McNamara throws for 330 yards and two touchdowns, we win this running away. It's like, if we, if we need him to do it, it's like, I don't care if he throws for 55 yards and has a John O'Cornest day as long as we run for 350 on the ground. Yeah, I, it doesn't matter. But if you give me one player to have a career day and it cements yeah. the win, that's an easy, easy choice that it's the quarterback. And I think he will have a good game. I think he's going to feel the pressure that like there's noise now around it, like full on discussions. You've got actual writers for newspapers now calling for his job. Joel Klatt saying maybe there's another gear here. So, yeah, I think he'll respond and it's a huge game for him. So, all right, let's you ready. Anything else before we get into some players of the game and predictions? that's let's do it. this is what we're here for this is what we live for we've been uh so we are technically still undefeated against the spread we said stay away last week but we said if you were gonna bet bet the over or bet the cover they did get the cover uh this week is even more of a stay away week for me it's four and a half michigan is favored by uh that feels ex- like a vegas line you called it vegas like this, zone yeah it's that vegas zone where this is going to be a weird game i would stay far away from that uh, if I were going to bet anything, I'd bet the over, which was at one point at like 50, I think, or 51. Um, if anything, I'd bet the over because these teams have shown the ability to, to have some big plays. So if I were going to do anything, but where you got it, four and a half. Michigan's going to cover the spread. Oh, I know. Because you said you've got a prediction coming that's going to blow my socks off. I thought you might. Um, I would say... I would say Michigan covers by the skin of their teeth, but that's a scary line. That's a scary line. I'm not betting it this week. I might, I might fade the over, or I would do some in-game betting. If Michigan State scores first and that line drops to two and a half, take it. Because I can see Michigan State scoring first. Michigan State always hits first in this game. Always hits first. Last year was the first game of the Jim Harbaugh era and the only game that Michigan never led against Michigan State. Wow. Yeah. Well, last year we said we wouldn't talk about it again. So I'm pretty upset you brought that up. But <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, no, no. So before predictions, players of the game. Let's let's not overthink it. I'm going to break some rules here. No, you can't. I am. I am going to break some. Ru- I am going to do what I damn well. Please, sir. I am going to break <laughs> some rules. This is Aiden Hutchinson's last Michigan State game. I'm going with Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan kid, born and bred, legacy commit. I'm going with Aiden Hutchinson in his last state game. And offensively, again, let's let's not overthink this. I could I could say Vastardis because you know that's my guy, but I'm going with the combination of the running backs. I think this is a huge game for them. Like all all the noise around, well, Kenneth Walker this, well, Blake Corum this. Like, no, they're gonna put it out there. 
And I asked, but with the limited touches they got, like I told you the stat, those two combined last year for 13 rush attempts. Joe Milton had 12. It's so monstrous. this is going to be a huge game. I think they want to run for 200 apiece in this. They are going to want to go crazy. I'm going to go with the older player because that's more on brand for me. I'm going Hassan Haskins for offensive player of the game. Last week at the end of it, I was like, I'm, I'm not getting cute anymore with these picks. And you're like, next week, we'll probably get a little weird with it. You literally broke the rules to take the best player on the field. I just talked myself into it. It's just like, it's, <laughs> I just think you're never going to be able to avoid picking Aiden Hutchinson in a Michigan State game. Again. Well, if you're allowed to pick Hutchinson, I'm picking Hutchinson on defense. But because Good. for the sake of the listeners, I'll get weird with it. Um, how about Chris Hinton's coming on? Chris Hinton is absolutely coming on. He is now projected as a third-round draft pick. So how about a Chris Hinton game? I love it. <laughs> well, look, you just picked Hunt. You just broke all the rules, said you were going to get weird with it. The listeners don't want to hear this. Obviously, Hutchinson's going to be the best player on the field. R.J. Moten. <laughs> no, I went with Chris Hinton, a third-round projected draft pick who's coming on and coming on, who's going to be tasked with clogging up that lane it's and fair. stopping Chris Hinton a lot. All valid points. All valid points. It's predictable as I went. You definitely veered the other way, and we balance each other out. Well, you stole it from me. Like, I'm not going to pick <laughs> the same guy. That's boring for everyone. And, uh, no, I and you know, you're laughing, but Chris Hinton has been playing extremely well. So is Mozzie. He Stan. has. He, he has. They both have. And uh, so. offensively, who you got? Uh, offensively, I'm going Cade McNamara. I think that. For all the reasons that we just said, I think he's heard the noise. I think that he will be challenged. I think him and his receivers are going to challenge each other to have their best game this week. And he might not throw for 250 yards, but if he goes for two bills and doesn't turn the ball over, that's going to be enough, I think, in this game. I really do. I think that this is a game. Now, it's all going to come down to red zone for me. So much of this game is going to come down to execution in the red zone. So I think that knowing that you're not the best red zone team, especially passing the ball right now. And I don't know that you'll be able to run the ball three straight times in the red zone to, to, you know, pop it in against Michigan state. This comes down to what is he able to do in the red zone? And is he able to hit a few of those big plays to maybe take the red zone out of the equation? So it's, it's a bit of a gamble here. I mean, you're more likely correct with your picks. You really, uh, you really didn't strain any mental muscles uh, picking those guys there. So, yeah, I'll go Cade McNamara. And, oh, since you took him, can I take the combination of Smith and Hinton? Yes, absolutely. All right, all right. Since you broke the rules, I will take the combination of Smith and Hinton playing a disciplined, good game that holds Kenneth Walker to under 90 yards. And if they do that and Cade Mack throws for 200 yards, I like it. I like us in this game. All right. I'm going to give you two. Let me give you two statistical predictions. And I want to hear two from you. All right. I love it. Either this, this is kind of an either or. Either AJ Henning or Andrell Anthony, or I'm sorry, AJ Henning or Roman Wilson scores a touchdown in this game. I could see it. Um, I wanted to mention that, so I'm glad you brought that up. I texted you during the game last week. Did it not feel like all of those reverses were setting something up and not even for that game? Something's coming. I think they're I think something's coming on one of those reverses. I don't know what that is, but it's gonna be some variation of that. So I like where your head's at. Um, I could see AJ Henning contributing in this game i definitely could see that i don't know about picking a touchdown for either but i like where your head's at there defensively dax hill gets another pick in this one 
I could see it. I picked Dax Hill as my player of the game last week. Quiet statistically last week, but really so consistent and makes people throw away from him. And that's why DJ Turner was getting targeted, I think, last week. So I like that. I think Dax Hill is going to be all over the place in this game. Probably keep him around the line of scrimmage in a game like this. Well, actually, I don't know. No. No, you're right. You play Hawkins closer, you play him back, yeah. I I immediately, as soon as I thought about that, because Reed and Naylor are just too good to not have him in coverage more often. I agree. He's going to be all over the field. So um, we'll see who they target, you know, and we'll see, man, DJ Turner. I'm going to have my eyes glued to him this week. If they've got him sticking on one of those guys and man more often than not, and you can play man to man with their best receiver. If that is DJ Turner right now, our defensive ceiling just climbed several like echelons. If you have a lockdown corner, I don't know that he's a lockdown corner yet. That's, that's too far in advance, but. Man, I like it. Dax Hill and DJ Turner, they will definitely have their say in this one. Um, All right, I'll give you two statistical predictions. Um, I will say that Brad Robbins is going to be a weapon in this game. And I will say that Michigan will dominate field position for the most of that this game, and that's going to be a huge factor. I think Michigan will be starting with a better overall field position than Michigan State throughout the day. My second statistic will be, I think, so they allow, they are, excuse me, they average five sacks and seven tackles for loss per game. This isn't my prediction. They will not get that against us. So that's just part of it. Um, But I think that we will get over two sacks on Peyton Thorne and a turnover. Two Two sacks and one turnover is my prediction on defense. Give me your score. Go on, do it. Just That was a perfect lead and let's go. Let's hear it. I'm on I had edge. it at 27-24. That was the score last year. I was riding with it. That's why I was staying away from the spread. I was like, I've had this predicted 27-24 forever. I'm going 31-24. Michigan, 31-24. I think that the numbers that we laid out earlier state that this should be a better team. I think the there's more Michigan players from Michigan than there are Michigan State players. They got a bunch of transfers that are leading their team. I think this game means more. Um, I think that... I, I, I don't know. I just I just like my team, and I like our ability to run the ball. I like Cade McNamara when pressed to have one of his best games. 31-24 Michigan. What do you got? Give me this madness you've got stewing over there. 34-17. Hmm. I, I love I, it. Against Nebraska, this offense managed 20 point, or 23 points. It needed the overtime to get to 23. They only managed 20 points again against Indiana. I like our defense. I like the ball control. They're not going to – I think you'll take away the home runs and make them fight in the mud, and I think Michigan does what they always do, wear down their opponents and pull away late. I love it. Only only thing we see different is I think Michigan State's got one or two big plays in this one for touchdowns, so I'm counting that as at least one score off of a big play, uh, maybe one score off of a trick play. So I could see him getting to that 21-24 range. But I love it, man. I absolutely love it. This is going to be a dogfight for most of the game. I think we can all agree to that. If it's if it, if it could just be 2019 and we could put the women and children to bed and just you know enjoy our Halloween, that'd be great too. 44 to 10, I think that one was. That was nice. That was, that was a nice. good day. That would be so much better for me. I mean, it's Halloween. We all want to get out and enjoy the night after this. If we could put this away and I'm not like chain-smoking cigarettes at the half, that would be delightful. Yeah, I just got over COVID, so people see me smoking already. They're going to be concerned, but it might have to happen. <laughs> I haven't had one since the Ohio State game 2019, but yeah, I, this this could be the game. Who leads at half? 
Michigan. I think this thing's going to be tight at it's, half. Tight it's gonna, at the half. I think the third quarter is going to change everything. That's when yeah. I think Michigan could like pour it on. This is a one-score game, very tight at the half. Can we throw the ball to Eric all in the end zone? He has yet to have an attempt in the end zone. We're giving all those shots to Sainer still, CJ, Dalen Baldwin. Give him a shot. He hasn't dropped a pass yet this year. Yeah, just just one. That's all we ask for. Like, now I'm excited to see what Gaddis has in the bag here. Like I said, they were setting stuff up against Northwestern. And man, it's it's balls on the table game. Like this is it. This is, it. This is a big one. This is it, man. Um, this time next week, we're either going to be saying successful season because that will put us at eight and zero. And we we've said that from the outright. I mean, eight wins and a win over one of the two rivals is good. But, I mean, that's probably 10 wins with the rest of our schedule. Or we will be completely despondent and you won't be able to talk to us because we lost to Michigan State. So, either way, next week, ought to have some fun. Might have to cancel next week. Might be in a van down by the river. So, (laughs) (laughs) We'll see about it, brother. All right, that's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it is on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever. You can follow us on Twitter, at Brew. You can follow Andy and I on Twitter if you want. I am at jstorm303. Andy is? Uh, U.M. Andrew B. And if you so feel it. But remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, especially in hate week, go blue.